oh, you're not going to count me down last time like you did like you did last week. I'm just really happy that you didn't start by welcoming people because I'm really, really trying to soft launch cold opens. Okay. Also because that's the most corporate speak in the world. Yeah, welcoming people sucks. Okay, nobody is welcome to this podcast. Me and James are just doing it for the hell of it. James, random question to start us off. In the event of me and you splitting up and not being friends anymore, who would get to keep the podcast in a custody battle? Um, Would you want it more than I would? Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I, feel, I feel like it would ultimately be a fight over it, and then one of us who got left with it would probably do nothing because we'd be like, this isn't fun anymore. Yeah. Also, please, no one express your opinions to us on who you'd like to see keep it going if this ever <laughs> happened, because I don't think I could take it if it wasn't me. <laughs> I think Mark would be all right if it was me. I think Mark would be okay if people said that, but I wouldn't be able to handle it. I don't I don't have the self-esteem. But anyway, <laughs> welcome to the Bench Unit podcast. No, we're not welcoming people. People um, are welcome, though. I just yes. don't want to have to start with it. But yeah, people are well, welcome here. Fair enough. Um, yeah, we are here. It's another weekend roundup. We have had a slightly eclectic slate of games. Drink if you had eclectic being in the first three minutes of this podcast. Uh, we've got a ton to get through, and shall we get right into it? Uh, yes, because it'll stop me asking stupid questions that aren't about basketball. So, yeah, well, cool. apparently, people like that according to our research. Well, you say that, like, just one person messaged and said they were a fan of it. Um, <laughs> Good enough. But, yeah. It's All right, cool. Our listener base. Yeah. Okay, so game one, Mercia 78 and Vigo 59. Did you get much of this? Yeah, I was quite interested by this one. Um, I think it was maybe when you guys played Mercia, was it first weekend of the season? Yeah. And we hypothesized post-game where like Mercia basically need to play either somebody who matches their style perfectly or somebody who's the antithesis of their style and see if they can impose their will. So um, any team ever. No, I'm joking. Um, and it turns out Vigo is probably the anti-Mercia. Um, I thought this game played really well into Mercia's hands in terms of being able to up the tempo they could press with pretty much whatever lineup they put out and have a reasonable crack at it. Um, yeah. And their offense seems to be getting better week by week, I think is a fair trend to point out at this stage. Um, yeah, pretty convincing win. This is maybe the most convincing win anyone's had against Vigo all season so far, which is a weird one considering who they've played. Yeah, that but, is that's that's an interesting point. Yeah, I don't know what that says about Vigo's ability to stick around. It might say something about pace. Man, yeah. I love talking about pace without anything to back it up on this podcast. But yeah. Um yeah. I think um Vigo actually got quite a lot of like ball safe over the halfway line out of the press. And then I think they had quite a lot of numerical advantage situations, which I don't know if their passing wasn't precise enough or like their you know, their three v two, two v one game wasn't quite as polished as it needs to be. Maybe they've not played a lot of that all season. But I didn't think Vigo got the best out of the press break that they could have done. Um, and I think if you're up against a team that has a noticeable speed advantage like Mercia did against them, you have to be able to out-execute it once you've got the ball safely out of the press. And that just wasn't really the case. Yeah, 100%. Like I think the thing looking at this for me is like, 
Mercia being able to get 74 shots up in comparison to 47, like Jeez. causing 14 turnovers against uh, against that sort of team and being able to get out and run. Like if you look at their shot chart, it's a lot of it's a lot of paint touches. According to the stats, they had 50 of their 78 points were in the paint. And I don't think many of those were throwing it to guys on post-ups and mismatches because that's not what they do. A lot of it was running in transition. And yeah, they they just put it on Vigo. Um got a little got a little weird by the end, it kind of got out of hand. And then yeah, I don't know. Like yeah. I, I think um Agostino Lejos being held to 13 points is kind of the biggest indicator here that this was kind of a full court job by Mercy. This was turning defense to offense primarily, because if Agostin's only getting 12 shots up. That's what I was going to say. That that second number, I think, is as important to me as how many points yeah. he has. And then by definition, your secondary guys are shooting the majority of the attempts. And although Vigo's role players didn't shoot badly by any stretch, uh, Julio Villas particularly had 22 points and was 10 for 18. But when you're taking a team's number one option out of it for more or less the entire game, and that's easily half the number of shot attempts he would traditionally take, you're setting yourself up for a lot of rebounds and a lot of transition opportunities, and that's exactly what it was. Um, as well as looking at like Amphib with only four offensive rebounds, despite yes, on Burton Court being the size of any two Mercia players sitting on each other's shoulders. Yeah, hundred percent. Are Mercia getting better at actually taking the game into the full court? Where they obviously, like we've spoken a couple of times about, that being where they're gonna find success against teams that are in and around that part of the league with them or above them or have yeah, they been this decent and they've just been playing good teams that haven't let them? Uh, no, I think they, they're figuring it out. I think a lot their early games, they were taking noticeably more, I say open outside shots, but I mean that in the sense of roll down five on five. There's not a lot going on. We'll just shoot it because yeah. they're not, you know, pushing out past the distance of the screen to defend us. So I think the fact that we're not seeing that happening means they're playing their style deliberately a lot more. Yeah, for sure. Also, take these stats with a pinch of salt because Lee Fryer played 42 minutes and 24 seconds, apparently. <laughs> well, it um, says, it says um, I think all the minute totals add up to 45 minutes. And if you look up at the top, the quarter splits are 17, 12, <laughs> 18, 9, 25, 13, 18, 25. And then zero zero for an overtime period that never happened. And crucially, if an overtime period ended zero zero, there would just be another overtime period. So yes. I don't know what's going on here. But I think yeah. as far as I can tell from watching the game, the actual counting stats outside of the minutes are generally pretty accurate. Yeah, like it seems to match the eye test. And it's I'm very glad we both watched this game instead of trying to sort of BS our way through it. But yeah, if it makes me laugh that they've got the minutes of the game wrong, but the attendance is written down as 39, which is very precise as if they counted. And it's like, hey, can you count to 40, please? Uh, so I love the idea they can't get past 39 as if they're like, no, a basketball game traditionally has more than 39 minutes. However, I just don't know what the next number is. Yeah, I, I do like that. Yeah. All right, cool. Um yeah. right. pretty okay. even spread. That's the other thing. Pretty even spread of scoring from Mercia, which helps. You've got 
five guys in double figures. Yeah, we kind of we pointed out last week when they they only had sixty one against Malaga, I think, and they won that game by four, and that was with four guys in double figures. So, I think their kind of path to a win is that their four primary guys, which is Lee Fryer, um, Pablo Zazuela, Joaquin Robles, and Lalo Prieto, they need to get you sixty combined, basically, for Mercia to have a chance, and then anything else they get is probably the difference between winning and losing. I don't think any of their four main guys are going to explode for like 37 on any given week. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Maybe. There's going to be a game. There's going to be a game. I think if you're like playing transition as much as they do, there's going to be a game where one particular person makes 15 layups. Like, I think that's the only time that happens, but that's not like a... I don't know. I don't think I care about that 70 I mean, no. like, I mean that thirty-point game shooting like seventy percent. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care as much if it's right. all layups. Should we move on? Yeah, if you'd like to. To unquestionably the most bizarre game of the weekend, which was FDI Leganes fifty Malaga forty-two. Now you could pose the question, and multiple people have already posed me the question of what happened here. And the answer is, I'm not really sure. This was just unfathomably weird. I don't, I don't really know where to start with this game, other than Malaga started with what you would presume was their pressing lineup, and then didn't press, and the first quarter was six all. Yeah, it was really weird. Like when I saw that happening, like, like I've spoken about this before about. Malaga generally having defensive game plans that impressed me like when I've played them the last couple of years and even just us walking uh, us walking our way through games on this once a week generally I've been like oh I see that so when they played that five because they've gone under points for the last couple of um, games with their starters and I was like oh okay yeah I get that because obviously to get Kyle on the floor with the one Spanish player role, you kind of have to play the 13 and a half or do some weird stuff. But yeah, when they didn't go under points, I was like, okay, this has to be to press. Obviously if you're playing a team that plays sort of three big, a couple of older guys as well, I could only have assumed, but yeah, that, that yeah. Was, they kind of started pressing at some point, but it wasn't with, that and then when you get to the point where okay we're not pressing and they've still only scored six points in a quarter but we also only scored six points in a quarter i wonder is that the point where you're like can we sacrifice some of our defense to get the guy who was the best player in the league last year onto the floor like yeah and they i mean i don't don't know once again they they did that um for a little bit of context the starting lineup for leganes was cano martinez christian gomez I uh, can never remember their one point his name, excuse me, Diego Melchor. Yeah. Um, Matias Mendes and Carlos Vera. And I think in that lineup, Christian Gomez is maybe your second most mobile guy. Um, and that screams that a lineup should probably be pressed. Uh, I think Mendes is pretty young and energetic, but he also has one of his arms impaired. So he's not like the ideal guy to get the ball safe in a press, I guess. Um, And they put the pressing lineup on after Philip Halfley and Alexis Ruiz had come into the game, who are probably Las Rosas' two most mobile guys. 
Halfley particularly when they put the press on just got like a couple of coast to coast layups. <laughs> it was like this shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Cano Martinez was the real story, man. For all the mids that Malaga have got, you wouldn't have thought this was a problematic matchup for them, but he had 26 and he seemingly scored every big basket down the stretch for Leganes. Yeah, he he went nuts, man. We're, we're obviously fans of his on this podcast because yeah. once again, just watch it. Like, I, I just love Gunners. Like, I was having a conversation with someone that we'll get on to in a different game or about someone we'll get on to in a different game with uh, someone yesterday. And I was just saying, I just love guys that are like, yeah, of course, I'm going to get 24 shots up no matter what. Or, what do you have, 23? Um, yeah. yeah. Kind of like, Martinez is wheelchair game like Will Barton, whereas like, I don't care if I've got Damian Lillard, Nikola Jokic, whoever else it might be on my team, I can dribble into a shot whenever I feel like it. Yeah. Uh, I was going to go like mid to late, like mid to late career mellow, where it's like, <laughs> uh, are you is like, is you taking 24 shots, making this team like win a league? I don't know. But man, I love watching you and you're wearing a headband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. Uh, he's mobile and can score. And I don't know if you score 26 points in a game that getting to 50 is going to win it. Um, yeah. Also, a random thing that made me laugh. Did you see the scoreboard stop working at the start of the first quarter and the second yeah. quarter? I always think it must be really annoying to be the table official and have to restart and like hit the button to bump the score up to wherever it was if it was like 39 41 or something. Yeah. But after a quarter, it was 6 6. <laughs> <laughs> I literally had to, like, oh no, we have to start again and press the button three times on each side. <laughs> but yeah, or twice. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know how to do the table. It makes me anxious. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So really yeah. weird game. Like, I don't, I don't know what happened here, but Malaga just. It's one of these games where, like, I think the team that lost is a step above the team that won in my mind. So I wonder if there's just context that we don't know with, like, travel or the rubber court or God knows. The thing yeah, is, like, the home team plays on it too. I think that's that's kind of valid, but Malaga also lost to Mercia last week and have now lost to Leganes, and they have to play Vigo next week. And I would have comfortably called Malaga to beat Vigo going into that game, but I must say I'm less convinced of that now. Yeah. On, paper, on paper, they still have the advantage over somebody like Vigo, but they've also had the advantage for the last two games, and it's not done them a huge amount of good. Um, There's a really weird thing here where there are three Malaga lineups that were in the plus in a game that only went to 50, and they still <laughs> lost. It's a really strange... It's a. This was so weird, man. I don't know what's going well, the, on. This was... Um, so Malaga had 28 points after three quarters. And then there was a point where it was 32-30 to Leganes. And then I think the closing run, which was mostly Cano Martinez, I think he must have had about 11 of his 26 in the early fourth quarter. And it then went to something like 44-32 in the span of a few minutes. It's like in a game that tops out at 50 having an 11-point run in the span of four minutes is probably going to decide matters. Yes. Without looking, who had the best plus-minus on Malaga? Ooh. Um, Cosarinha, I would guess, came off the bench again. Lewis Edwards. Yeah. 
Once again, Lewis, just, I, I say quietly having a, a season that we think is good. We're not being quiet about it. Lewis has been, Lewis has like been contributing good minutes in a handful of games. It obviously wasn't enough in this game because, I don't know, nothing was working. But He's been by a long way their most consistent guy as they've been feeling out the the intricacies of their new squad, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, this was this is a weird one. I'm sure Amiville would have wanted this one back. That's one of those you lose a game like that, and you're like, "Hey, can we like just start again in 13 minutes?" Yeah, you know what I mean. Is it but, before we move on? If you're coaching Malaga at this point, is it time to panic a little bit? Uh no, I don't. I don't know about panicking. It might be a. It might be a time to have a look at some stuff and maybe figure out what lineups help you in what situations but like as we, we've kind of spoken about this privately and we'll not get into too much about it but like i don't know i think i i think Addy's good uh and yeah i don't know i do think they have some stuff to figure out with like we've spoken about their lineup stuff on here a lot like i think they've got some stuff to figure out there with who plays best with who and in what situations but I don't know. Them having Vigo next week is is that's some tough timing. But if they came out and beat Vigo by like twenty, we'd be like, yeah, okay, cool. And is this the biggest win in Ligana's slash Las Rosas history? Um, I don't know. Well, Ligana's won a game, obviously, to get promoted and then just take all the players from Las Rosas when they got <laughs> relegated last year. So that was a big game for them. But yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe. Right. Up next, we should be able to fire through this one. This is Vida Lead 74 and Abacansa Basketball Ferrol 57. Yeah, so you shared the final stats on this when the game was over, and your words were basically too much Romo in this one for Ferrol. And yeah, that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> four points on 22 shots. Yeah, that'll get it done. Um, 22 shot attempts, and Ferrell made 23 shot attempts for the entire game. So, God. Yeah. yeah, this is, I think, this is like a slightly American thing where, and this is going to sound like a criticism, but it by no means is, American players just seem to savor being able to have massive games against teams that aren't equipped to deal with them. I think there's a lot of other guys who get like semi-complacent in the less tense games, but there seems to be like an American mentality where it's like, no, no, if they can't defend you, milk it on literally every possession, it'll be great. Yeah, it's, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I don't disagree, but I also don't know if I'm gonna like assign that to like specifically Americans. But like, there is a thing like if you can have like if you can have thirty points, why wouldn't you? Yeah. But yeah, this game was over in. This game was over in a quarter. It was 28-8 in the first quarter. They pulled it back a little bit in the second. But like once again, if you look at their shot chart, it's a lot of it's a lot of layups, man. Like it's a lot of layups and post-ups and finishes inside. And that's like for a team that beat us kind of all over the floor, but kind of got inside a lot against us a couple of weeks ago. Um got inside a little bit against us, shot some threes, whatever. Like, I don't know they seem to be able to get inside and get whatever they wanted. Like if you just look at that shot chart down the, uh, like down the stretch. Um, yeah, man, that was, that was a yeah. lot. That was the second think... half. They were just like, 
lay up, lay up, lay up, post up, post up, post up. Do you think there's some level of when a team has a great shooting game like they did against you last weekend, do you think it by default sets them up to get more layup attempts in the following game, assuming the team they're going to face then has scouted them by watching the previous week? Yeah, maybe. I guess if you think it's like for real or not, like, and yeah, I think it is. Like, I think Romo has proven, and obviously Maxi Ruggieri has been around for longer than we've been talking about this proving that he can shoot the ball. So, um, also, it's interesting to me that he was like three from six. Like, him being able to play a game like this and just kind of like throw the ball around and assist wherever he wanted is is funny. Like, that's kind of a that's a bad sign. If you if I'm looking at just these stats and I'm like, how did the game go? I'm like, oh, he only shot the ball six times. It says he had zero assists, which is yeah, that's probably wrong. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I mean. I still think Vidalid have only really had one test that accurately shows where they're at. I think they've beaten both Gran Canaria and now Ferrol, who are weaker than they are. They lost convincingly to Amiab, and then they beat you guys. So I think it's still a little bit tough to put a needle on what their kind of standing among the league is. But, I mean, you can do a lot worse than going up against a team that you're better than and just taking care of matters. Yeah, no, they they looked good and they just do look good. Yeah. Um, yeah, not a whole lot to say about this. Oh, but this is one of those that I was like, I saw the score and I was like, ah, oh, I'm gonna skim this. <laughs> like, yeah, my, uh, my thoughts exactly. Um, speaking of games we skimmed, let's crack through this one. Amiab Albacete, 99-32 Juventut. Oh, man, they nearly busted out the third digit in the scoreboard. They did. The Thuringen, as we call it. Yeah, the Thuringen, as people call it. Um, But, yeah, um, very little to say about this. Juventut coming off, winning a big game last week. Man, this this is a tough one to sort of have the momentum stopped if they were coming up against. I think it would have been perfect for them to have another game, like have a game against a team further down the league this week so that you could build on that. But having having the momentum just completely deaded. Oh man, that's, that's yeah, tough for those guys. The the tough part for this is as well that Amia typically run like 10 players deep and they were missing both Fran Lara and Vicky Perez in this game. So two of their guys who would traditionally like take a good chunk of the minutes in a game that was comfortably in hand weren't available, so obviously they had essentially no option but to run out their top eight guys against the team they were much, much stronger than. So they they couldn't put out a, a lineup that would give Juventus any avenue to be competitive. Yeah. Uh, Filipski was... We've seen this number before this season, but Filipski was plus 64. <laughs> I was just going to say, we have some new um, plus minus... Um, Legends, yeah. Here, plus although Filipski Phil- was plus sixty four, and then you look at it, it's like oh, he played nearly thirty seven minutes because they couldn't really get him out because <laughs> they didn't have enough guys. So it's not as impressive as Jericho Linden getting plus sixty four in twenty four minutes or whatever it was he did. But oh, yeah, that was nuts. Plus sixty four is impressive regardless of situation. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, not a massive amount on this one. Uh, Albacete still look really, really good. Um, 
having a guy like Phil Pratt and not having to start him for, well, I don't know why he's not starting. I assume it was, uh, God knows. But I hope, hope he's all right. But just like not, like the guys on their bench even, he's like, man, this is this is an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, um, but yeah, wish they got to 100 because we love seeing the third digit. But yeah. As do many people. Right. The third digit. All right. Well, crack through the next game because for some reason the stats haven't gone up for this one um so the final score for this one was gran canaria 50 and illunion 76 this one was close for like two and a half quarters and i yeah. think it was 41 all mid third quarter and then the closing run was something like 35 9 to finish the game out from there yeah, I was watching this, and when it was like a one or two point game, a little later than I thought it was going to be, I turned to Anna and I was like, "Billy mm, is still going to win this by like 12. <laughs> and then it was just a lot more than that, it felt like. <laughs> but once again, kind of this thing that happened last year at various points where the Illunion pressing lineup changes a game, but they managed to go two giants they went bill hasso three giants bill hasso amadou greg danny sticks and being able to press a team and still have two absolute giants or three giants on the floor and you say being able to press a team being able to press a team featuring alexi ramonet is a whole different (laughs) proposal god um but yeah, it's, I don't know, that's so interesting to me, watching a team that like everyone probably traditionally thinks of just like having a load of firepower, which they also absolutely do. Um, them doing it with defense is just weird to me, but yeah. Um, that, that's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of good defensive players and being able to move with that sort of size and also having the safety behind you in a press of knowing that there's people that can just erase shots at the basket. But yeah, sure. yeah, I wish um, there were stats to this. I'd love to see the plus minus stuff. I thought um, Gran Canaria in the first half particularly looked about as comfortable as they have done at any point this year. Uh, and they got out in transition on Illunion a fair bit, which I think compared to the last couple of years, Gran Canaria's half court hasn't looked nearly as potent as it could do. But yeah, that's one of that was one of the like the all time half court teams in the yeah. last decade or so. Like that was one of the so like, act team could move the ball like very few others. Yeah. So if you're if you're able to get out in transition, it's maybe alleviating some of that. But to be able to get out in transition, you're also asking Jorge Salazar to who typically does play undersized against one big, you're asking him to do that against two or three guys at any given point with the Salunion squad. And especially with Richard Noche playing heavy minutes who just you know, having been around as long as he is, is not set up to battle with, you know, Bill Amadou and Hasso for 40 minutes. Nah. So, tough one for for Gran Canaria, man. But I actually think there's some promising stuff from them in this game. They just didn't have the toggle ability that Illunion did to keep looking for answers. And this is now the second game in a row where Illunion have played against a weaker opposition and Busted out a thirty-something to single-digit quarter. They can yeah. channel like ten minutes of Thuringen Bulls, and then they're like, right "I think up. they're like, oh man, can we do that for four quarters, please?" 
Um, Because if you can do it for 10 minutes, you can probably figure out how to do it for 40. And I don't think anyone doubts that they have the talent to do that for teams. But some of the Grand Canaria stuff was just like Ramone got hot from the three-point line for a little bit and they were able to get going based on that. But that only takes you so far unless he's going to stay hot for 40 minutes. And I don't know how his numbers ended up looking because once again, the stats aren't there. I blame Fran. Um, (laughs) I also love Fran with all my heart, so that's fine. But uh, yeah, that's that was tough. I Grand Canaria stuck around for a little longer than I thought they were going to, which is cool. Um, but yeah, because I that game started a little later than the rest of the games on Saturday, and I was like, oh, I hope this is a good enough game that I can watch it for a bit. But yeah, they stuck around for way longer than I thought they would. So, but yeah, Alunion digging it out with defense is is cool to me. I don't know why. Shout out to Amadou, by the way, who is having four or five games in, is having his best season that I think he's ever had up to this point. He's ridiculously consistent at the moment. Yeah. I read it. All right. Next one. Yep. All yours. You Uh, were there for this one. Yes, I was there for this one. Didn't watch much didn't watch much of it though. Um Bilbao, Bidayak, Bilbao, 88, Medeba, Extremadura, pay your players, 71. Um, that sponsor's name. Uh, God. Um, <laughs> no, no comment. Um, <laughs> I don't know. They might be paying people by now. I don't. I don't have a clue. Uh, well, they must be because they've added a new player, which was the Madiba headline coming into this one. Can I? Can we start a podcast called Allegedly, where we just say whatever we want and don't get in trouble because it's called Allegedly? Well, that's what um, I've been trying to do for a long time. I just say it, and then you add Allegedly to the end to keep us out of trouble. Uh, yes. Um, but yeah, so we got back to winning ways on this one. Um, uh, Julio Maria Papi shot the absolute lights out, it felt like. Um, he had 23. Manu, another good game, 22. Manu's been great. Uh, well, like apart from the one game where just none of us were any good last week. Um, but we, yeah, man, we shot 61%. Um, kind of got everyone going, got back to playing in transition and yeah the stuff on the other side of the ball the big thing obviously is Jose Leap is now playing for Madiba so it's cool to see him back in the league because he was the person I had a conversation with someone else about and I was like who's the NBA comparison for that guy because I just love I just love gunners like I just love people who will take 35 shots in a game if they have to we kind of I know we held him to how many attempts? Um, seven. Um, but yeah, there were games last year where he was like seven from nine from three. So you got to respect that. He gives them just the ability to actually run like, like not two weak sides with two ones on the floor, for example. Like they were able to run um, John in the pick, um, John Hernandez in the pick and roll with Joy Margranados. And sort of a one and a four on the weak side with Leap doing his stuff on the three-point line. But I think it it's as well, this really highlights the fact that you bring Jose Leap in and John Hernandez suddenly has 27 and Madiba put up 71 and look competent, which nobody would have thought one player could make that amount of difference based on the games we had watched. But I think it's like the trickle-down effect of having someone to take the ball out of John Hernandez's hands, like yeah. John is by a long way at his most dangerous 
moving without the ball like we saw with Madiba last year and Bilbao the year before that. Um, so yeah, I think it was it's some kind of realignment of roles is really helpful. And also Jose Leap shot the ball well. He was five from seven and three of four threes. He's apparent apparently hasn't been taking any training time off while he's not been signed. No, apparently he has. I was talking to someone who knows him and they were talking about they were talking to him about the fact that he was coming back and he was like, Yeah, I haven't been in my chair since May, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> um but That's yeah, like cool. there's a real weird thing of I don't know, you hear NBA guys talking about like NBA analysts talking about NBA teams being like, Yeah, we just need like a real point guard. We need someone to get this guy the ball. And one, I think that's kind of dumb in the NBA sometimes. And two, I think the idea of a true point guard in wheelchair basketball is kind of just someone who doesn't want to shoot. Uh <laughs> and but like in this sense, like it's someone who means you're just right, someone who means that John Hernandez can just go and like hunt mismatches or cuts or whatever it is he can get off the ball he can get out in transition he doesn't have to do too much because he is unbelievable but it's not like a it's never been sort of in a way of he would run a team yeah brilliantly i think the way i would describe playing against john like i remember playing against him in bilbao a couple of years ago where you get down the floor and you'd be like all right we've stopped this guy and then we've stopped this guy and we've stopped this third guy ah god john's over there bank two points like he'd be on like the right side block all of a sudden, and you'd be like, okay, you know this, he's going to shoot a mismatch just above the block, his shot from behind his head in his chair that is like max height and like super, st- he's not stood up, but in the way, like you got like the short, Yeah, he's not stood up any more than anyone above three and a half points, just stands all the time. But um, like he's, yeah, he's a killer and he's just like off the ball. You're like, oh yeah, he's there. Like first bucket they scored, he just, it was just off a cut when I fell asleep a little bit. And I was like, oh God, this guy's so quick. But yeah, no one's as quick with the ball in their hands. So yeah, I, I think th- that gives them a little element. And also it's a trickle down effect of like, there aren't two people you don't really care about on the floor all yeah. the time. Yeah, sure. That's a trickle up effect. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to say that, but I didn't, I didn't want to say the words trickle up. Yeah. Um, feel a bit sick. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, this one was, I think the Jose Leap thing, if you look at the like quarter by quarter scores, basically lasted for a half as you guys were figuring out what their new alignment was. It was 36-31 at halftime. Yeah, it was weird. Then you guys took it away in the second Like Part of it was Pappy got hot. Part of it was Chema hit a three and then cursed out the opposing coach for the third time since I've been watching you play for Bilbao. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The all timer, the all time leader in technicals, <laughs> talking trash to the opposition coach. So uh, yeah, we we ended up like two techs and an unsportsman, like in a forty minute game. And I was like, what? How, how do we? How does this keep happening, man? But yeah, kind of. I know what I'm doing. I know yeah. what I've signed up for at this point. But yeah, no, uh, Pappy was great in this game. Like, I kind of felt like he shot even better than eleven from nineteen, but. He kind of just showed up when we needed him to, eight rebounds and six assists as well. Yeah, which is interesting because he did most of the damage in the second half. And I thought, as you mentioned briefly, Manu was kind of the guys who kept your heads above water when it was like rough going in the first half. Manu was 11 from 13 for the game, but I think most of his scoring came in the first half. And then your guys shooting picked up as the game went along. So, yeah, I mean, you guys are going to be tough to beat when you drop 88 points. Yeah, 
And it's weird because like we just struggled to score against Vidalid and obviously they like any time a team struggles to score, at least some credit goes to the team that plays 40 minutes of basketball trying to stop them scoring, obviously. But there's also a thing of like, I don't believe we are nine from 39 and a half bad, <laughs> even against the best defensive teams in the world. So I was like, hey, we can probably score more than 52 points in a game if we really try. So it's nice <laughs> to be like, because we scored 80 odd against Gran Canaria and Illunion in the Super Cup. And then I don't remember against Mercia. So that was a real thing of like, hey, we can like we have guys that can score the basketball. But yeah, Ma, I think Manu's been really good this season so far. I think he's been like consistent and kind of keeping his head in the right spot. And he's been nuts in training all week. So I'm super glad that he did it in the game. So yeah. Okay, cool. uh, yeah. Right. Shall we head to Germany? Um, I would love to. Uh where are we going? Landil 69, uh Cologne 99ers 45. Mm-hmm. Absolute par for the course on this one. Um Tommy Bowman not with Landil for reasons I'm not sure about. Uh hurt his it looks like I've seen a picture and it looks like he's got like thumb in a cast. Right. Um they they put a press thing out about it that I had to like Google like automatic Google translate the website and I don't trust the translation on the specifics of it, but like hand injury, thumb injury, wrist injury. I don't know, but out for a little bit. Hope he's doing all right. Hope the recovery is coming on well, but yeah, not having that guy changes things. It does. um, Unless of course the team he plays for is Landil who have a full roster of more than capable guys to pick up the slack. Yeah. That's the thing you're like, (laughs) <laughs> this was a great time for Gaz to have come back as well. Yeah. Um, so Gaz with 18 on 8 from 12. Rayo Fujimoto with 21 and <laughs> from 15. Um, 8 from 12 and 10 from... Yeah, 18 so... from 27 from the <laughs> two main bigs. Yeah. What, what, um, are we, what are we doing here, man? Like, what... Yeah, there was... I mean, we've made no attempts to dance around the fact that Cologne have struggled and this probably wasn't going to be the game. I wonder if Cologne saw that Tommy was out and I wonder in their heads what additional percentage of a chance that gave them for the upset here. But yeah, do you have to like try and talk yourself into that being your way into it? But I don't know. I don't think you see like, um, I don't think you see Landil coming out with like a three big line up and think oh yeah no this is the one this is a better matchup for us exactly <laughs> like at several times they went like didn't they go like Guntner, Gaz, Chaudhry, um, Ryo Fujimoto, Simon and Catherine. Katarina Weiss at one point and you're like oh yeah this isn't you know this isn't exactly better for us I don't yeah. th- I don't know like well, maybe it is in terms of being like I was going to say maybe you can like be less worried about like having to jump out and defend like on the perimeter. It's also like two of the bigs are Gaz and Rio who will hit that shot at least as consistently as anybody in the world, maybe non Tommy Bowman division. But it's, yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, it was a relatively straightforward game for Landil. I have a Guntner comparison, which I'm quite pleased with, and I want to know what you think. All right. I think Guntner's 
clip, the guy he reminds me the most of is Prime Matteo Cavagnini, and I I'm not sure why, other than that he's massive and doesn't seem to miss very often. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Cavagnini was still kind of a well, he's still playing at the minute, but like there's a lot of games that he played that weren't kicking about on YouTube. But I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, big massive and not missing a lot is is part of it, but. I don't know, wheelchair basketball player comparisons are difficult, and I don't claim to know enough about Cavanini, and I definitely don't, I probably still don't know enough about uh, Matthias Guntner, who he is and who he's going to be, Yeah, to kind of know the crack, but yeah, I, I don't disagree. Big, big massive and not missing a lot is a pretty good thing to have in common with a legend <laughs> of the game. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, on the clone side, 10 for Asel Shabo, 10 for Umut Akbay, 10 for Mustafa Kortmaz. They were just never going to have enough in this game. Um, no, the and... thing the thing that we we didn't get correction sectioned on it, but someone pointed out to us is like one of the issues they have is like their best players kind of don't all fit on the floor together. at the Once again, they wouldn't have beaten Landil if they had their five. Best players on the floor over points, probably. I don't think, but no. But there's a, I don't know. It's a little bit concerning when you look at their bench guys and Kea Keita and Thomas Raya uh, playing a combined like 17 minutes. You're like, hey, you could probably do with more than 17 minutes out of those two guys. Yeah. Obviously, you that to make it work, they then have to take other guys off. But they. Yeah, I think whoever pointed out to us pointed out they effectively need like a low point female player to be able to stack some points up and make it work but yeah it's it's not the off season anymore so it is tough to see how they will happen across one of those at this point yeah we also do a lot of this where we're like ah if only this team had this type of player and whoever like whoever like cashes the checks and like messages other like players over the summer are, are probably like well yeah obviously like yeah <laughs> right like we're talking about certain teams you're like did they not think about getting like a a one five or like a female one pointer or whatever and they're like well obviously i'm like, sure, they, sure they thought about it in the same way that anyone else is probably like hey my life would probably be easier if i had a helicopter to get where i needed to go <laughs> it's like well yeah I'm sure yeah. it would. But it's like, not. yeah, most people who are running wheelchair basketball teams can count to 14 and a half. Like, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, they, there are limitations to who you can get to go to what teams and the money you can have to pay them to get there. So, yeah, I, I understand that's an issue. But, yeah, shall we move on? Let's do it. All right. Uh, ING Skywillers, 52. Thuringia Bulls, 85. 85 notably being less than 100 we should yes. point out to open this segment we should um yeah shout out to sky wheelers for keeping that under that, that's not fair i don't want to like i don't want to point out that teams keep throwing in under 100 no, I, th- I genuinely think it's an accomplishment at this point especially because i think it's always like the landil throwing in comparison all season but landil have played Hanover already and I think have Ryan coming up this weekend and I think Thuringen have had the luxury of getting the season rolling against some of the weaker teams so the fact that Skywheelers were able to be like hey you're not dropping 100 on us at least deserves some praise I think because Thuringen will drop 100 regardless of who you are seemingly 
yes. Um, standouts in this game: Halouski with twenty-two, and then it was pretty even apart from the like. Apart from that, everyone else kind of chipped in. Yeah, um, a couple more yeah. double figures: Joachim and Jens Albrecht, uh, ten and twelve. Jordi Ruiz with seven. Carlos Podniaks with four. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is here that. Thuringen have almost always started their two big lineup yeah. and then rotated from there, but they started one big this time with Jens yeah, Albrecht and Carlos Podnieks coming in for Vahid and Marikia. Um, yeah, good point. That was I kind of forgot about that because God, we every time I come on here, I'm like, we've watched too many games that I'm going to forget <laughs> about something. But the stats in front of me would tell me that. God, can you hear the siren going past? Uh, slightly, but it's fine. It's gone. Ah. Now. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So that it's a weird one where they're one of the many teams, it seems like now, that have like established rotations that they're like, okay, we start with these guys and then we bring this guy in and then we go to this lineup like mid first quarter. But yeah, I wonder I wonder if this will be a pattern. I wonder if they they like this lineup a little more or if this was just Yeah happenstance or someone wasn't feeling well or they wanted to just try a certain style of play i don't know that it's interesting to watch going forward but not massively interesting in this game it's almost tough to tell because the score line being what it is you can't really be like uh we didn't think we were going to get it done with our two big lineup against it. like i'm sure they would have been fine had they started their usual lineup so yeah i don't know if this was just like maybe their last shot at some early season tinkering but whatever it was it worked out okay um, yeah, on the sky side, yeah, on the sky wheeler side, sixteen for Nico Drymuller, who we kind of talked about this last week, but a two pointer operating as the fulcrum of the offense and getting fifteen shots off against the defense that Thuringen play is pretty impressive in and of itself. Oh yeah, so, for sure. Shout out to him. Um, fourteen for Sven Diedrich, ten for Christoph Spitz, and twos and fours kind of across the board from everybody else. Um. Yeah, this was just, as all of Thuringer's games have been so far, talent mismatch. Yeah. Random Thuringer question once again. I'm really enjoying looking at the shot charts currently. Um, Are they the most, like, Houston Rockets threes and layups team anywhere Um, going? Because they were 17 threes they got up, and um, God, how many points in the paint was it? Uh, 38. If you look at the shot chart, it's kind of there's some sort of mid range stuff, but I don't know. Like even Landil, I don't think they go inside enough for that to be the case. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's probably it because it it kind of reflects how the German national team have started playing as well, where they're fully leveraging the fact that one of their bigs is both an inside and outside threat. Um, where Thuringen can obviously they didn't start with it this game but they can constantly have either one big going inside, two bigs going inside and multiple three point shooters around that so it makes sense that they're the team that's kind of pushing this blueprint forward yeah I'm just like I was talking to someone about where the game might go in 20 years hypothetically and I was like I do wonder if teams are going to like I don't know, NBA money ball type, loads of threes, loads of layups, it, but then also like so much of that in the running game is dependent is dependent on like catch and shoot threes. And you it's just yeah. there are like 
20 guys who can do that. And also, it's the great statistical inefficiency of the NBA that nobody's figured out yet is they talk about what high percentage looks are the threes from the corner are, which is true, but also none of those analytics factor in the eight times a game somebody pump fakes in the corner, steps on the sideline, and it's a turnover because that's not a shot attempt. No. So, yeah, I skeptical of that whole thing slightly because uh, until i see stats that reflect that i refuse that's to such it. a that's such a little nitpick for something that is so mathematically established at this point but yeah um also there's like more inefficiencies in the mid-range to exploit like there's no like not all mid-range shots are created equal in the running game but definitely not in the wheelchair game which you can you can you can just have someone who is considerably smaller and way more disabled than you in front of you stationary and like rooted to the floor like <laughs> like i think that's something that people take like need to take account of but yeah man yeah. i wish there were enough stats to actually look into this stuff we'll get there wait till uh, someone will stats engine um, all right should we get on to the game of the week probably let's do it man this game was great i've watched yeah. this game twice oh wow Hanover United 72, Ryan River Rhinos 65. So, start of the game, they do think it was a little weird that Rhinos came out with the five that they came out with. Yeah, this, I, I think these teams see each other as like each other's competition for finishing third behind the two Titanic German teams, but. This felt to me a little bit like both teams not wanting to give the hand away too early. Um, so Hanover started with Sean Norris, Jan Sadler, Alex Buda, Tobias Hell, and Jan Gans. Um, Ryan started without Moji Kamali, who was pretty essential in their win last week. Um, yeah. and yeah, I thought. It was a little bit strange. I'm not entirely sure what the purpose of it was from Hanover's point in particular. Um, and they went to their mid midpoint lineup after about six minutes, I think. Yeah. Um, which I have championed as being their best lineup for probably the last couple of weeks. And then Tom McHugh had other ideas because he That's came what in. I was going to say the second quarter, and he was probably the single most influential player in this game. Um, he didn't miss a shot for the entire first half and I think in the second quarter he was like four from four and had three assists and X number of rebounds yeah so, um, that, that was a weird one because he I don't know we have come on here obviously and we've spoken about their mids lineup and then one of the first shots he hit was like an elbow post up where I, I, I look at mismatch post ups in terms of like if I was defending this would I be like, nah, good luck. If he makes it, that's too good. And he had like three of those that are like, man, that's that is that is quite deep on this elbow. And yeah, he had a really good game. Then he started dishing out from there when people were doubling and ended up with what four assists. Yeah. Um I think he had more than that from watching the game back. I think there was maybe one or two. I think there was definitely one he fed to Sean Norris where Sean like caught it, squared up, took a dribble and shot it, which I don't think they counted, but no, I wouldn't be surprised if he had like six assists rather than four. Not that it's a huge difference, but no. but yeah, an I... assist or the ball being in your hands, warping the defense enough that someone gets open, you find them, and then they score directly from there. Whether you tick the assist box, like yeah, that's that probably counts. But yeah, 
those um Jan Haller, Tom McHugh, and Oliver Jans being plus um sixteen, eleven, and fifteen in a game that was a seven point game is is a lot. Yeah. That that and says a lot, but yeah. You look at the groupings at the bottom of the stat sheet here, and it's Hanover points in the paint forty two, bench points thirty seven, which is yeah, more man. than half their total output. Um, yeah, I just thought, to be honest, I thought this was both teams' best game of the season and best executed, like offensive and defensive strategy. Um, Moji Kamali only played ten minutes for Wiesbaden, which I thought was a little bit odd. Um, yeah. Guy seven didn't have a terrible game by any stretch, but it they kind of brought Kamali in second quarter. He they didn't get a lot going, and then he was basically done for the game, which I thought was a yeah, it's a weird decision. I thought that unit could have done with a second run out. Yeah, that's the thing where I think where it's like if if Heiss gets going, um, and once like he was efficient, but on low numbers, he got yeah. the line a handful of times as well. Like he was three from five, and he shot eight free throws, which is cool. But like. Yeah, once again, I wonder, do you give them a second spurt to see if um, Kamali can get you going? But yeah, I don't know. I thought, um, I'm just, I'm a massive Jim Palmer fan. Everyone knows this as my friend. And uh, yeah, Uh, but I don't know. I think him not starting when you start another one. Chris Hooper is obviously great. Like national team players played for Landil. Um, But I don't know. I'm I'm team Jim, but yeah, Tim uh, Jim ended up playing 31 minutes from there. But also, Chris Hoover is the only person on this team with a positive plus minus, so that lineup was working. Yeah, I I think um, in general, I thought Hanover were were much better at maximizing their sub. I don't know if you can call it a sub pattern because they they don't do what you mentioned with Thuringen, where it's like right, we play this lineup for X number of minutes, then we play the they. Hanover seemed to read and react with their lineup choices, but I thought each time they made a sub, so they started with the lineup we mentioned, uh, then they went to all mids, then they went to like three mids, Tom McHugh and Oliver Yance, then they went uh, Vanessa Erskine and like four high pointers. And I thought more or less each time they made subs, it's a weird one because I think for the first like couple of minutes after you've switched lineups, you generally you either click straight away and you get the advantage or you're a little bit disorganized and the other team gets the advantage in those like first couple of minutes of feeling a lineup out. But I thought Hanover didn't really slip up at any point. Um, and I thought by contrast, Ryan Riverana has basically stuck with the same thing for the majority of the game where they maybe could have done with a little boost. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. I meant to, when I was watching this earlier, I meant to say that. Like when they brought out the four big Vanessa kind lineup, I was like, oh, mystery third lineup like me and you or mystery fourth lineup me and you have been debating or going back and forward we kind of end up on the same side of it but we speak about their two different lineups and then you're like oh yeah they can run this as well oh nice you can get young guns on the floor um but yeah um good game good game to watch anyone who hasn't seen this yet if you're thinking of which games to maybe catch up on uh, this is a cool one yeah um I generally thought the whole, the dynamics of the um, Louis Hadwan stepping up to battle Sean Norris as like the primary ball handler and shooter was pretty interesting. I thought this was a good Hadwan game. Um, Sean Norris also, I don't know if you've noticed this, is never at any point going too fast or too slow. 
Oh, just so in control of the game all the time. Even if he looks like he's like bouncing off people, he's like, oh no, I know where I'm going. It's fine. He never adjusts his speed, but it's like he goes from bringing the ball up court on the fast break and then doesn't adjust his or like slow down or anything, rolls off a pick and it's a layup. And it's like, how how has this happened? And how is everybody else around you sprinting and you're like kind of just gliding around? It's very strange to watch. But yeah, all of this guy like has literally influenced the direction the game of wheelchair basketball has gone in in the last 15 years or 20 years, being a super mobile, quite big mid three, like who can handle and shoot and go inside. Like that's what the game looks like at the highest level at this point. And he probably deserves a good amount of credit for that, I would say. And that's not taking away from the people who were before it, but like, yeah, he, he's great. I I do have the thing, the, the same thing as you, where I'm like, Sometimes it's like, where are you going? Oh yeah, fair enough. Like, <laughs> like it just looks like he's like gonna just bounce off people, and but he does. Like, I don't know how he like stays upright or knows where the basket is. Sometimes it's the jungle ball stuff. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right. Great. Shall we get these last couple of games covered off? Yes, Sean Norris is great. Hot take. There you go. The, the cutting edge of wheelchair basketball journalism. You all come to us for. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone's heard of him. <laughs> All right. So, Dolphins, uh, Trier Dolphins, 61, Baskets Hamburg, 49. So this one was weird. Yeah, lowest Paso and scoring total all season. Yeah, by a long here's, way. Here's it's almost as if somebody's Instagram post jinxed him. I would go so far as to say that. Yeah, come on, Ayaka. This is your fault. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> this is no one's fault. Um, yeah, whose fault was it? That's a good question. What did you see that Hamburg did that made him shoot five from 18? Or did he just miss shots? Uh, I thought he missed a few makeable ones, but also similar to what we talked about with Agostin Lejos is with Dirk Pasvan with 18 shots is maybe closer to like half the number of attempts he would get up if you asked him what his ideal game looked like. Um, <laughs> that's a great question like going around all the like number one options on the on the big teams in Europe and being like hey man what's the right amount of shots for you I'd love to hear someone just be like I'm 37 we'll add that to the um when we have like the the quick questions to finish the guest episodes off we'll ask yeah um, what's your ideal stat line but yeah I thought um Hamburg did a relatively good job of jumping pretty high and pretty early and not they acknowledged they weren't massively worried about Tria getting inside on them. Um I guess the flip side of that is Natalie Passavan had 14 on pretty efficient shooting. So that's kind of the price you pay. But if you'd have told me prior to this game that Dirk had 14 and Corey Rossi, who is his probably most consistent second scoring option, had zero points. I would have been like, Tria must have lost this game by 500. But Patrick Dorner to the rescue. Yeah. No. Um, he is, I assume he's just like a local guy and plays for Tria alongside whatever else he does in his life. But I think he's a pretty underrated player on the kind of European club scene generally. And he saved them in what would have been a fairly strange upset. Yeah, I have no idea. I know very little about Patrick Dorner. This seems like something that 
like if if he listens to this or catches wind of this, he might be like, hello, or Ayaka might be like, this guy, how do you not know this guy? <laughs> um, so yeah. Um yeah, big game, man. 18 points on just 50% scoring. Uh made a couple of threes. That makes a difference in a game like this. Being able to chip in like high sort of high teens in a game where the guy who normally scores 40 doesn't get anywhere near there. Yeah. Also having to do it on defense makes a difference. Like if you if you do all the like chipping in in your teams in the world, but you can't stop the other team, like it doesn't matter. But keeping Hamburg to forty nine is yeah. gonna get it done. Um, yeah, especially um, I think in the interest of chipping as well. I think hitting two threes is particularly big because Hamburg were happy to extend like way way above the three point line to defend Passavan. And it's a slightly different question when it's like, okay, Passavan's got two on him. We need to work the ball inside for a layup at this point. That's a bigger ask than being like, hey, let's just kick it 12 feet to the other side of the court and this guy will make an open three. Like That gives them something else to worry about. Yeah, like they've probably spent the whole week working on like, okay, so we jump this guy and we kind of collapse and protect the paint everywhere else. Yeah. And then... Oh wait, no, we have to jump a second guy from the three-point line. That's an issue, but yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't know, but also you look at on, on the stats, there's like Hamburg's stats for the year, and the only place they're kind of shooting over 50% anywhere on the floor is like the charge circle. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe not as big an ask as I implied it was to stop these guys, but yeah, super weird that Pasawan only had 14, but also you win some, you lose some, I guess. And you win some anyway, even if you score 14. Apparently. Are you excited for the Passavan revenge game next week? Oh, God, I wonder who has him. Uh, he's like, hey, I got to get this average back up to 40. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, imagine. Yeah. Imagine if there was, like, scoring title type things. Have you seen the, like, last game of the season in the NBA when the scoring title average is in the balance and oh, yeah, yeah. Jack and David Robinson both trying to score like 50 um, yeah I'd love to see that yeah that's going to happen well if we assume his average is like I think Dirk's average is probably like low 30s so. I, was, I had like 34 in my head if yeah. I had to guess so but... we can pencil him in if he wants to bounce his average back out somewhere between like 46 and 50 is probably a reasonable guess yeah and that's not I, even outside the realm of possibility. Like that would seem ridiculous to suggest for most people, but it might happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's on the list of like might have fifty. Yeah, we, um, we've spoken about Philipski in that regard before. Like, ah, oh, yeah, when he was playing for Burgos, it was like, ah, oh, these guys are going to lose against this team unless Philipski has like fifty, and he might, and he that, did a that, couple of times. That's but, like what, one in every eight games, probably. Yeah, which I like. I don't think I've had 50 combined since I've been in Spain. <laughs> it's actually probably not far off. Like, it's probably like 60 or 70 points. Like, I don't know. It's we'll, not what I do. Think, um, we'll dig the stats back up. Oh, I don't want to do that. Um. All right, last one. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um. Wheelchair Basketball Theme Park, BBC, uh, and Broadcasting Corporation, BBC <laughs> Monsterland 87, uh, Hot Rolling Bears, Essen 30. Yeah, this was... Uh, Munsland have kind of made it their thing to push the better teams close all year. Um, and this was just 
this is one of the few teams that they've got a very obvious talent advantage on, and they took full advantage of that. Um, if we're playing the plus-minus game again, Matthias Bellis was plus 50 in 30 minutes. Yeah, look at his shot chart, man. It's just yeah. charge circle, charge circle. There's like one, like one or two, like 10, fi- 10 footers, but the rest of it's just like, yeah, layups, please. Matthias and Zuren Muller with 28 each on a combined, what are we at? 27 of 42 shooting right there. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, I don't see a way in which Hot Rolling Bears were going to steal this one anyway, but when Munsterland's very obvious top two guys are turning up and they get double figures from two other guys in Julian Lammering and Jus Marinskov. I put, I'm pretty impressed with that. I pulled that name out having not really Yeah, I, literally, I was like, that guy had a good game, but um, I don't know how to pronounce his name and I don't want to make any mistakes. Anyway. It's not like, it's not an issue if you're like genuinely trying to say someone's name and get it wrong. But yeah. Um, yeah, they got 12 and 15 from those guys respectively. So to be honest, Munsterland, if they get 50 odd from their two main guys... You know they're gonna they're gonna hang around with most teams that just happened to land on a game that they were very very comfortably ahead of what Hot Rolling Bears can put out there. And it just yeah. is what it is, man. Nobody in double figures for Hot Rolling Bears, but I think we're we're used to that at this point in the season, man. They're just they're fighting uphill every single game. Yeah, they just don't have enough, man. It's sad to see, but like I guess that's the thing. You come up like you come up a level and. Unless you're able to bring in people that are going to help out, uh, you're going to have a going to have a tough time. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'd be interested to see if Munsterland could get like two nearly thirty point games from big players in a big game. But I guess part of that is like if your two four fives are not getting any resistance at the basket, like any any more sort of equipped team will be putting some sort of resistance up at the rim and then that naturally just drops your percentages obviously there's no secret there but i think that's kind of what that's the sort of production they need from those guys to hang around against the better teams and i don't know if it's i just don't know if it's possible although obviously we're like matthias bellows and soren miller's the best player in the universe so like it could happen but interesting when they play those sort of mid-range teams again yeah, I think the red flag here is that while Julian Lammering had 12 points chips in, he was three from 16, and that kind of screams complacent against, you know, weaker team kind of stat line, where, you know, you'll probably get some easy shots, but not be fully concentrating or what it does happen. So I wonder if maybe that lifts up a little bit against better teams. But yeah, by contrast, yeah. they're too, a better team probably isn't giving up almost 30 apiece to the two guys at the top of the scouting report now 22 offensive rebounds i'd love to know how many of those were like put back put back put back but (laughs) yeah Yeah. um i don't know who i'm talking negatively about there um but yeah i don't mean it don't take me seriously you don't even have you don't even have to listen to this couple of orders of business before we get out of here all right who are we giving the belt to oh god I've got two candidates in mind. Who are your two candidates? How about you give me the two and I help you decide because I can't think. Philipski was pretty good, but against a team that... hmm. Yeah. Against a team that currently holds the belt, so that's kind of fun. 
It is, but also, I don't know. I think there was two more consequential games, at least, than Albacete beating Juventus by 60-odd. Um, so is it Mike Tom had, McHugh? Tom McHugh, because I think he was the single biggest swing factor in an important game for the German standings, which we didn't mention this, but Mariska posted on her Instagram and called that game the battle for third place. It's like, we're, we're five games into the season, guys. You're meant to at least be pretending you think you can stack up to the top two teams. <laughs> no, I respect the hell out of it, Mariska. If you're listening, I respect it. Um, um, And my other one was Cano Martinez, because I think that is legitimately a big win to legitimize Leganes a little bit. Um, I think I'm team I'm team Tom McHugh on this one because, um, I don't know if you're that like those teams are third or fourth in that league, whereas I don't think Malaga and Leganes are going to end up one spot away from each other in the league. Yeah, no, at that's this fine. point, so yeah, I would go McHugh on this one. Tom McHugh, it is. And speaking of Aussies. Do you want to let people behind the curtain on what we're going to be recording probably by the time this drops? Um, Assuming our guest shows up this time, we should prefix. I think he will. I would imagine that he will show up. So I would love to do the Like, I'd love to get to a point where we like give people clues about like who the the guest is. I I said, speaking of Aussies, so shall we just leave it there? Speaking of Aussies who beat me last week. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, cool. Get um, your questions in. All will be revealed. Yeah, Clarence. CJ. Yeah. CJ is so, coming. If you're listening to this on the day it's out, we're going to be recording um, at our usual 4pm slot with our guest. The episode won't be out for a couple of weeks. We're keeping this one in the bank in case I have to disappear in mysterious circumstances anytime soon. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. That's, I guess that's the other thing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. We're, we're having CJ Clarence McCarthy Grogan. I don't know if I need to give a full name, but yeah, CJ is coming to join us. The other thing is Mark might be a dad any day now. So if you hear, just one voice on the podcast and it's just me going insane because I don't have anyone to, to bounce off, I apologize. And if you hear someone that sounds a bit like they're not Mark, you're not going insane because it probably won't be Mark. We could try and find someone who sounds like me. Yeah. I wonder how, how long we could keep that up for. Uh, Quite a while. I don't know. Uh, Unless you're from like a pretty localized area of the north of England, you probably <laughs> wouldn't. But you'd be like, ah, this is the same weird accent. But yeah, hey, also, <laughs> listeners, let us know. I'm trying to force Mark to take some time off <laughs> because I'm like, I think he'll need it. Let us know what you think. If you yeah. think Mark shouldn't, like, uh, if you think Mark shouldn't be here for like a month when he has his baby, let us know. Well, the plan is, I'm not going to be working for a month, so there's no reason I, in theory, can't do like an hour a week of this stuff. Before. I've heard babies are easy. Yeah, I feel like I, I say that now and then it might get like week by week and I'm like, I cannot face the idea of like trying to watch enough games and talk about them. So That's the thing. And I, my thing is just like, I wonder if you get an hour and a half of silence in a week. Like, I don't... <laughs> yeah, no, that's a valid point. Um, so yeah, listeners, if you can think of anyone who you would like to shortlist for James to rope in and help out on it, any episodes where I may not be present, 
feel free to let us know and we will see what we can do about getting those guest hosts in. Cool. Sounds great. Uh, yeah, get your questions in for CJ. Uh, thanks for listening and have a nice couple of days. Peace out. I was waiting for you to hit stop record there. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs>